from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. With as much information as police had on Victor Herrera, there was surprisingly little to go off of. An APB all-points bulletin was put out on what was believed to be the getaway car, a green 1973 Buick LeSabre with Connecticut plates. Fortunately, that's all they needed. A car matching the description of the vehicle used in the robbery had been spotted outside a nearby airfield, just five miles away from the Wells Fargo Depot. It was Victor's rented Buick backed into a parking spot outside the Swiss Chalet Inn, a now defunct two-story motel chain within walking distance to Brainerd Airport. Federal agents got a warrant to go inside the vehicle. The cash was gone, of course, along with any traces of Victor. Police reports show he'd left the loaded 38 caliber Smith & Wesson revolver and 12-gauge pump shotgun he used during the robbery in the car, fully visible with the safeties off. In the trunk, transmission parts, and a black beret from a military equipment store in New York City. 
began to realize from there, he had a getaway car there, like a clean car. Victor Herrera couldn't have picked a better place to dump the car. In addition to being next to the airfield, the motel was adjacent to Interstate 91, which runs from Connecticut all the way to Canada. Police recreating the drive said it would have taken Victor just 12 minutes to get to the motel from the Wells Fargo Depot. And that's if he was going the speed limit. Detective Ken O'Brien helped with the investigation. There's some speculation about, was there an airplane involved? It's a state airport, but it's a private plane flying out. The towers wasn't always manned at the time. And um, you could land this, you know, in a twin-engine plane there easily. But there were no reports of no a plane. Report. So the guy puts $7 million of cash into a car and no one knows where he is. Right, no, no idea. And his fiance alleges she has no idea if she has any contact with him. Between the two consecutive car honks the security guards heard during the robbery, a presumed signal to someone waiting outside the depot, and approximately 1,000 pounds of cash that needed to be transported, police were working under the assumption that Victor had some help. But from whom? Now, everything's going to our minds. He has to rent a van or something else. The suspect was he fled the area in another vehicle. Now we're beginning to realize maybe he wasn't alone. Previously on White Eagle. They said, get in here right away. We just had a, a robbery at Wells Fargo, and it's a huge robbery. And it looks like he had everything with him he needed to restrain one person, but there were two people. I knew that that car was important in the case because it wasn't his, and it could indicate a co-conspirator. Why do you beat the horn? He's not saying goodbye to these two guys. He's saying, I'm coming out. My name is M. William Phelps. I'm an investigative journalist and author of more than 40 true crime books. What you were about to hear is the true story of a heist, one that funded an international independence movement and sparked an investigation spanning nearly four decades. This is White Eagle. The Wells Fargo Depot robbery is arguably the most high-profile case to come across the West Hartford Police Department in Connecticut, an investigation ultimately involving the FBI's 59 field offices, scores of agents, other government agencies, and the Hartford and West Hartford Police, all putting in hundreds of hours of work. It was the biggest robbery we, yeah, case we ever had. We used all kind of manpower in this case. During my research into the case, there were a number of people I knew I needed to speak with to get a better sense of how things operated among law enforcement. Detective Ken O'Brien was one of them. His resume is impressive. During his 28 years as a police officer with the West Hartford Police Department, Ken was also on the Arson Task Force and studied forensics before being sworn in as a special federal agent with the state's attorney's office. Ken is now retired. He's originally from Boston, but his ties to Connecticut run deep. He's lived there with his wife of 54 years since 1967. Thank you for the coffee. We had been in communication for months at this point, 
So he suggested we meet in person and do our interview at his house. So I have all the reports right here. Oh my God. Yeah, I have all the reports from the case. No kidding. Yeah. Ken O'Brien is a man of many words, sometimes too many when you get him going. But it's impossible not to love the guy. He said, I don't. Even when he screens his calls in the middle of an interview. That's good. Hold on a second. It's, it's a dental office. Somebody's got, dent- one of us has a dental appointment. So can I talk through that? Or? Go ahead. So then. That doggedness to finish his story is part of what made Ken such a great detective all those years. It's been nearly four decades, and he still has a vivid memory of what happened after the robbery. He says the gravity of the situation became utterly apparent when the FBI rolled into town just hours after the heist. By 4 a.m., the West Hartford Police Station was ground zero. They come in with a team. I bet you there had to be a half dozen agents came in, and we had a conference room. Well, we all gathered together, and there's like a briefing of, here's what we know. And everybody threw in a little bit of information they had and what they had done that night before to bring them up to speed. By then, Victor Herrera's photo was everywhere. I can remember, as a 16-year-old kid myself growing up in the area, seeing that image of Victor's headshot from his Wells Fargo ID badge running across all the TV stations and printed above the fold in the newspapers. Day after day, you just could not avoid it. Since much of the stolen currency was Federal Reserve money, the FBI took the lead. Whoever in charge of the agents looked around and said, where are the phones? And there was only one phone in the conference room sitting on a windowsill. And he said, that's one phone. That's not a phone. We'll get more phones. I guarantee within a few hours, there was like six or eight phones there. They just made a call. Boom. Wow. I had six or eight phones brought in. No kidding. Yeah. Unbelievable. They come in and they like, they start to, they have that for me. It's a guy on committee, town committee with me. He always, he'll leave a message for goes on and on. How was that relationship between the two departments? We had a real good relationship with the agents. In fact, we had, it was behind the police station was the old, now it's called the town hall, but it was the old high school and had a track. And the agents would come and go jogging on that track. Uh, and we had a locker room, some lockers in there, men and women agents, and uh, our male and female. And we had a gym. And the, remember the FBI actually paid a couple of pieces of equipment so they could use it. The FBI working alongside the West Hartford Police Department wasn't unusual. The Bureau would routinely assist officers in state and local cases investigating organized crime, drug trafficking, or in this case, the theft and transport of $7 million in cash. But the manpower in this case was different. The FBI had even sent in profilers up from its headquarters in Quantico, Virginia. A state arrest warrant plus two federal arrest warrants were signed, charging Victor Herrera with a number of offenses. Theft from an interstate shipment of funds belonging to Federal Reserve member banks. Theft of those funds and using a weapon in the process of the crime. And unlawful flight to avoid prosecution. 
If caught and convicted, Victor was likely looking at decades behind bars in a federal prison. For Detective Ken O'Brien, every little detail mattered. Take a 5,000-piece puzzle and dump it on the table. Now you're starting to try to put pieces together. Each team would go out. Then at the end of the day, we'd meet again at the uh, detective division, and there'd be exchange of information. Each day, we put another piece of the puzzle together. They'd go out in teams, the West Hartford PD driving federal agents around town, serving as backup. They also looked into local leads, friends of Victor, former co-workers, his exes, as well as his bride-to-be, 20-year-old Anna Soto. I don't think he told any of his family what he was going to do. Anna, she was devastated. I don't think she knew. If she knew, she's a great actress because she was devastated that night. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. During the first few days after the robbery, Anna Soto wavered between witness and suspect. She was engaged to Victor Herrera. She had lived with him for two years. Could she have had some knowledge of his movements? Was he contacting her? Victor's bride-to-be said she had no idea where he was or why he'd robbed the depot in the first place. 
He was very nice, polite, uh, nervous, very nervous, but stunned. Naive as Anna seemed, investigators quickly learned she was hiding crucial details about Victor's getaway car. She claimed to have no knowledge of the rented Buick. But neighbors and friends, they told a different story. One witness reported seeing Victor with the Buick on Saturday the 10th, the same day he got it from the rental agency. She said he used it to pick up a pizza for dinner and even parked it on the street outside of his apartment. Also enjoying the car's perks? Anna Soto. Others close to the couple told police Anna was seen riding in the car that weekend, and Victor even drove her somewhere the morning of the robbery. When police found the Buick, they noted that Victor had put 87 miles on the car in just two and a half days, meaning he'd driven it a hell of a lot. She's either the greatest liar in the world or she's telling the truth. Despite the deception, to this day, both detectives, Ken O'Brien and Steve Luby, describe Anna Soto as a nice person and think Victor left her in the dark. I didn't know it at the time, but other things were true about the marriage application, the, you know, the living together. All the other background stuff she gave me was true, but the car became important because her lying about the car made us think that she obviously knew more about the case. It was determined that I would arrest her for uh, hindering prosecution and giving a false statement uh, and maybe use that as a chance to get more out of her. Anna Soto was arrested on September 15th becoming the first arrest connected to the Wells Fargo robbery. Detective Luby says they were hoping the threat of jail time would convince Anna to offer more information, anything that might lead them to Victor. It didn't work. Anna Soto lawyered up and stopped talking. She had an attorney, Mike Graham. Mike was a character. He was, uh, how can I say it nicely? He was a little slick. He was making early threats, you know, from a defense attorney's standpoint, they're good threats to be made, that we were uh, harassing her, that we, uh, there was talk about how they took her out that night out of her apartment in a nightgown at gunpoint to search the apartment. So Mike was threatening lawsuits for all of us involved. Obviously, you want to clear the house if he is in there. We know he's armed if he is in there. So I don't care if she was completely naked. She's coming out quick, and we're going in. Anna was released on bond shortly after midnight. A little more than a month later, a state prosecutor dropped the charges, telling reporters at the time he was concerned it would hinder the federal investigation. I've reached out to Anna to see if she would be willing to share her story on the podcast, but I never heard back. She was young when she was engaged to Victor, just 20, and studying to be a beautician. Like Victor, she was deeply connected to her Puerto Rican roots. Anna had lived there for a time with relatives and returned to the States a few years before the heist. At first, it seemed as though Anna's relationship to Victor made her a major player in this story. But within days, she turned into nothing more than a witness with very little information. Upon in an elaborate chess game, the feds were still trying to win, and Victor Herrera seemed to be one step ahead. Unlike his amateurish work restraining the two security guards at the depot, Victor's moves now felt more professional and calculated. 
far more than the West Hartford police and FBI would have ever anticipated. Promising leads would fizzle out into nothing. Police reports detailed countless sightings of Victor, and yet none of them ever panned out. In all likelihood, it was just someone who looked like the guy. There was an alleged sighting in Boston of a man fitting Victor's description. He was said to be high on drugs and sleeping on a park bench days after the robbery. Another, weeks later, from a man claiming Victor asked him for a ride to a West Hartford apartment complex. One man even came forward and said he was good friends with Victor, speculating that he probably fled the country, maybe to Argentina. And another so-called acquaintance, who happened to rent a single-engine airplane the night of the robbery and flew from Brainerd Airport to Boston and back. I believe the FBI followed up on that, checking to see if the plane, because they would have to do something to, you know, before they could use the airport. They'd have to check in or do something, a plane, there would be some record of a plane coming or going. And so they found nothing. There were several leads, however, that got law enforcement's attention. Take, for instance, an envelope that arrived in November that year, postmarked from Buffalo, New York, and sent to Victor's lawyer's office in Hartford. Inside were three letters purportedly from Victor to his attorney, Mike Graham, fiance, Anna Soto, and Victor's mother, Gloria. In one, Victor thanks Graham for representing his fiance. In others, he says he's fine and apologizes for any of the trouble the robbery may have caused his mother and Anna. Graham told police the letter's contents made Victor's family doubt he'd written them. But they did say the handwriting look like his. Well, the FBI agreed. A handwriting analysis and other lab tests confirmed that Victor Herrera was the author of the letters. Yet, there was no way to tell when the letters were actually written, which now raises the question, was Victor even still alive? And even if he was, why in the world would he risk getting caught? Because of this, law enforcement stepped up its search. At least 20 FBI agents were assigned to canvas Buffalo's Latino neighborhoods. The Bureau even asked Canadian authorities for help. They agreed and promised to search the area as far north as Toronto. From the outside, it doesn't make much sense, really. A 25-year-old who's engaged to be married overcomes two of his co-workers, steals $7 million in cash, and drives away. No guarantee of contact with his loved ones ever again without going to prison. Who was this person? He was clean as a whistle. He was the perfect guy for the job. <laughs> I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts.
Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. It should come as no surprise that news of the Wells Fargo Depot heist was everywhere. The thief had so much money to steal from here that he couldn't even haul it all away. Police estimate that he left about a million dollars behind. Everyone, including law enforcement, was baffled. A tabloid in Boston called the robbery the Big Sleep Heist, a reference to Victor Herrera's failed attempt to drug his co-workers. It was huge news. I mean, it was all over the front page of every place in the world. Ed Mahoney is the Hartford Current reporter you heard in the last episode. Everybody figured that they knew that Victor Herrera was the inside man and everybody's waiting for his body to pop up someplace because they figured whoever pulled this thing off used him and he would prove to be expendable. Years before Ed began investigating Victor Herrera's role in the Wells Fargo robbery, he helped expose one of America's most notorious, violent, organized crime figures, James Whitey Bulger. Whitey was uh, under investigation for a million years in Boston. He had killed all kinds of people, and he was responsible for all kinds of mayhem and violence and law enforcement corruption. But I think one of the things that really put him on the national map was his involvement in the murder of two or three figures associated with a company called World Highlight. The World Highlight murders would end up being one of the stories that defined Ed Mahoney's career. Victor Herrera was another. And for anyone who thought they knew Victor Herrera, a broader picture was beginning to emerge. Victor was, uh, you know, he was from the Bronx uh, in New York. And for whatever reason, his mother moved the family from the Bronx to Hartford, presumably in, in search of a 
more tranquil, better, safer life. They ended up in uh, one of the housing projects. And uh, Victor ended up being a good kid. Victor attended Buckley High School in Hartford. He was popular and well-liked, a fairly good student. If you met him in the early 70s, you'd probably see him as the kind of guy who was going places. He played varsity football and was captain of the wrestling team. He was a trained peer counselor and a member of the Human Relations Club. He had little interest in politics, but was a member of the student council. He was a kid from a very, very modest background. He had a tough life, and he was making something out of himself. Victor's junior year, he was selected to participate in Upward Bound, a federally funded youth advancement program that allowed him to take an intensive curriculum of courses at nearby Trinity College. By senior year, he was awarded a $1,000 scholarship and was chosen to be a legislative intern at the General Assembly. He got a job as some kind of an intern at the state capitol with a, a woman who was kind of a famous figure in uh, democratic politics. That woman was Marion Delaney, a strong-willed figure in politics who, for 27 years, helped run the clerk's office at the Connecticut House of Representatives. According to Ed Mahoney, Delaney took to Victor and advised him on everything, from what he wore to how he spoke. She took him under her wing, and that was what went wrong. Victor had his choice of colleges to attend. He was reportedly considering the University of Connecticut and Trinity College. But Marion Delaney became a powerful influence over Victor and convinced him to go to her alma mater. She got him into this kind of really weird, strict Catholic college out in Woodstock, Connecticut, called Anhurst College, you know, which was run by a bunch of nuns and was on the verge of bankruptcy. The former all-woman's college was in such financial despair that they had recently expanded the student body to include men. In the fall of 1976, Victor was one of two dozen male students among 200 female classmates. A Puerto Rican kid from inner city Hartford just didn't fit in a place like this. Woodstock, Connecticut is only a 45-minute drive from Hartford. Yet for a kid from the projects, it might as well be a world away. Woodstock is rural with rolling green hills, large estates, and wineries. And there's Victor, you know, penniless, stuck out in the middle of nowhere in the woods with no money, no car, no nothing, and it just kind of fell apart. Victor left Anhurst without finishing his freshman year, and from that point on, things took a turn. He jumped from one job to the next. Police reports show he worked at the state capitol where he'd interned as a student, before finding work as a roofer, a special education counselor at the Hartford Board of Education, an apprentice at a local aerospace company, and at one point, he even joined the National Guard. There were a series of relationships as well. In 1978, Victor left his longtime girlfriend, Maggie, not long before she was due to give birth to their daughter for an old friend from high school named Pamela. The two married and split up that same year, when Pamela was three months pregnant with Victor's second child. Pamela told police the marriage ended because it was clear he still had feelings for Maggie. For the next few years, Victor went back and forth between the two women. 
They eventually joined forces to get him to pay child support. And by 1982, he was paying them and planning a new life with Anna Soto. Both exes described Victor as a loving father, though not always present. They said he was traditional. He liked to be the breadwinner, even though he had trouble holding down a job. Even the Wells Fargo Depot job wasn't a given. Victor's brother told police, Victor had actually been suspended for a month earlier that summer over an issue involving some missing money. Detective Steve Luby says police thought Victor saw an opportunity and seized on it. You know, some local kid saw this money, he's dealing with this money every day, figures this is going to be an easy heist. These armored car people, they were notorious for being careless with money. I mean, we had reports in the past of $5,000 dropping off the rear bumper in a bag on these things when the guys drove off and forgot to put it in the truck. You know, they handled a large amount of monies, but the security... If you look back at the security, it was not that good in a lot of these companies. Pamela, Victor's ex-wife and the mother of his second child, said she never understood why he went through with the robbery, but didn't think he could have pulled it off alone. She said she wouldn't be surprised if he wound up dead somewhere. And maybe, just maybe, he'd gotten in over his head. She also told police something that stuck with me, a potential motive even. She said Victor had a tendency to run. He left Maggie when she was nine months pregnant. He left her when she was three months pregnant. And now it seems he ran out on Anna before they got married. The big question at the time, where would Victor run to? And, and all the stuff we were getting early on him, it was like a, a lone wolf. He, he, would, he was never involved in much of anything that we could determine. It's like all of a sudden this guy just existed and, and there wasn't a lot of background about him to be had. Police thought Victor saw an opportunity and he took it. They didn't think for one minute he was some kind of mastermind criminal. Then, about six months after the heist, police got a lead they could not ignore. We got a call from Massachusetts State Police and some DOT, Massachusetts Department of Transportation, workers cleaning a rest area, the first one right off of 84, a couple of miles up from the Connecticut border. And they were cleaning up there and they found a wallet and identification and it was Victor Rines. So first of all, now we, we know two things. He's heading to Boston and also in your mind at the same time is if the wallet's there, is your body near, remains nearby. Mass State Police were there. The FBI, I think, went up there too. Sure, finding Victor's ID near Boston was a solid lead, but it also can't be ruled out that anyone could have planted that wallet to throw police off Victor's scent, so to speak. That is, if he was even still alive. The FBI and state police didn't get much information from the wallet discovery, giving them really little to nothing to go on. After that, leads slowed to a trickle. The Wells Fargo Armored Service Corporation, which had initially offered a $350,000 reward for information, bumped it up to half a million dollars. It was the largest reward ever offered for a single crime in the United States. Even that didn't work. But just when the FBI thought all roads to Victor led nowhere, the unthinkable happened. Victor went public. 
On September 12, 1984, exactly one year after the heist, three handwritten postcards arrived at various news outlets around the country. One, to the Hartford Current in Connecticut, had an image of the Statue of Liberty on the front. It arrived inside an envelope, postmarked from New York City. FBI forensic experts confirmed the postcards were written by Victor. Yet, once again, there was no indication when they were actually written. Still, based on what he wrote, Victor not only wanted to set the record straight about the robbery, he also wanted to send a message. Quote, I will clear up any confusion that still exists about me or what happened to the money shortly. Be on the lookout. Next time on White Eagle. Then the money shows up. That was traceable money. You're starting to think of something's organized here. We follow the money. White Eagle is written and executive produced by me, M. William Phelps, and iHeart executive producer, Christina Everett. Additional writing by our supervising producer, Julia Weaver. Our associate producer and script supervisor is Darby Masters. Audio editing and mixing by Jackie Huntington. Our series theme, Forms Regal or Grand, is written by Aaron Kaufman. And special thanks to Arlene Santana and Will Pearson at iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. 
Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.